You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk right here on L.A. Talk Radio. You're listening to The Art of Love with your host, Lucia, right here on L.A. Talk Radio. the art of love my name is lucia i'm your host and a dating and relationship expert and i'm here to entertain educate and enlighten you about love dating and relationships take your live calls answer your emails and speak to authors of books which i find interesting and this week we are going to discuss relationship hell you know i've always said the right person the right relationship will take you to heaven and the wrong one will take you to hell. And the website is escapefromrelationshiphell.com. The book is called How to Escape from Relationshiphell.com. And the author is Lisa Hayes. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and share with your audience. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. It's an important topic. So Lisa is an entrepreneur, life coach, and certified hypnotherapist. She's also a partner in an independent technology firm and is considered one of the front runners in using new media, media as a platform for coaching and teaching. And she also has an IQ of 140, which I'm, I'm very jealous of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm only 121, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> So how did you come to write this book? You know, I, when, if you read the book, you wonder about that 140 IQ, don't you? You yes. just kind of go, wow. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I had, been, I had been coaching for a long time, and simultaneously was living out this cycle of bad relationships after bad relationship after bad relationship. And those relationships just degraded. It was like they they say you date the same man over and over again. Yes. And I can't really say that was the case, but I dated men with similar bad qualities. And it seems like every time I started another relationship, the next one just got worse until those relationships es- escalated to physical domestic violence. And honestly, the last one in the series of bad ones before I turned things around almost killed me and my son. My child was was involved in a situation where I both I thought we were both going to die. And so I, I tend to say it's a little bit like being an, an addict who bottoms out. I mean, that's what I felt like. Like, I realized at that point when I finally got out of that relationship that if I didn't fix things, I probably was going to die from this and spent a tremendous amount of energy of all different kinds like working through what got me to that point and sorting those things out. And when I came out the other side of it, what I had was my story. And so that's where the book came from. Yes, and luckily there's a very happy ending, which we'll get to at the end. But, um, yeah, let's talk briefly about uh, the last guy you just mentioned. So you said that when you met, um, you said that he was um, a war vet with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, a victim of violence in his home as a child, 
He had a serious drinking issue and commonly misused prescription drugs. He gambled compulsively. He lied like a rug to cover his tracks, and he had a history of being unfaithful in relationships. He had been physically violent with previous girlfriends. He was unemployed, undereducated, and had a not-so-latent homosexual tendencies. So what did you find attractive about this guy? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that his at that juncture, it was probably that feeling, and I think a lot of women can relate to this. It's like, here is this person with this story who is very, very damaged, and I can help. Oh. I can save. I can fix. I can get in here and fix this. And this particular guy really was fresh back from Iraq. And I really felt like he needed a safe place to land. He needed somebody who could just provide him some comfort and that, you know, the the love of a good woman. And that doesn't work. It does not work. No. This, this guy needed therapy, not the love of a good woman. Well, you know, he and he had therapy and he had the love of a good woman. He had a team of doctors. Uh-huh. He had... And that still wasn't enough. Wow. I mean, the, the love of a good woman is not going to touch that. No. Um, well, but how soon after you started dating him did you find these things out? I I would say within the first two weeks of dating him, there were clear indications that he mm-hmm. was in real trouble and that he was real trouble. I mean, he... I'm trying to see. It was really within the first two weeks. I mean, almost immediately. And I'm, I'm talking clear indications, like indications that he was extremely, extremely, very, very depressed, dangerously depressed, potentially suicidal. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so then this ha- story ended in your office with your son and the guy had a gun. And what happened? You know, I will say that how we got to that place in the first place, we had, um, do, can I give a little bit of backstory sure, yeah, yeah, here? Of course, of course. You know, it was escalating physically and escalating physically, and I was hiding it from everybody. I, I thought I was hiding it from my son. He knew. But I was definitely hiding it from everybody else. And the night before this incident, we had um, gone out to eat to celebrate because he had finally gotten the job. This mm-hmm. was a celebration about getting hired. And on the way home, he pulled off and stopped at a casino um, and was going to go celebrate some more, which was not something I wanted to do. I didn't want to walk into a casino with him. And it ended in him like literally dragging me across a parking lot by my hair. Wow. And security cameras caught this. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, everything that I had been hiding, all of the all of the keeping the secrets, all of the stuff I was ashamed of, all of the denial that I had been doing, ended in a flash because this incident happened on camera mm-hmm. and security responded. Oh. So then I couldn't lie anymore. I mean, then there was absolutely no denying what was going on and. When I left that incident that night, I thought that he was going to be arrested. He wasn't going to be back, and but they didn't arrest him. And so he did end up back in the house that night, and my it escalated, as these things do. And finally, my son called the sheriff's department the next day, and um, we, d- we didn't get a lot of assistance from law enforcement, but what we did was got kind of a break, like a moment in time, mm-hmm. and we've 
house. And at that juncture, I knew I knew it was going to be over one way or the other. I went to my office to log onto the computer to transfer money out of an account that I knew he had access to. Mm. Like all about at that point was we are going to have to leave our own home. I owned that house. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to need money to pay bills and to figure out how we're going to get through the next few days or weeks. I need to transfer money. And it was, you know, five, ten minutes after we got to the office that he showed up and yes, he had a gun. Yeah. And okay, so then and then finish the story. <laughs> Don't leave us hanging here. <laughs> um you know, it was, by the grace of God, this was a Saturday, and on that particular day, there was almost never, ever anyone in that office building. I mean, on any given Saturday, we would have been completely alone, and we were completely alone in that office for, I'm guessing, half an hour, and like I said, for a good portion of that 30 minutes, I figured we were going to be one of those statistics, mm-hmm. which were statistics I knew well, mm-hmm. because... Coincidentally, I had been on the board of the local domestic violence agency. Wow. Like, this was work that I was very familiar with. And there had been a rash in that little community of murder-suicides that were domestic, that were domestic incidents. And I, I pretty certainly knew that that was what was going to happen. And the only, my only prayer at that point was just kill me. Like, don't, don't kill Caleb, mm-hmm. my son. And we had about half an hour sitting there and pretty much being held hostage and some pretty horrible exchanges between my son, who was at that point, you know, 15, 16 years old. All he wanted to do was protect his mom, which was making things worse. And by the grace of God, I heard somebody walk down the hall and I realized we were not alone in that building. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at Caleb, realizing we weren't alone, and said, get up and get out, walk to the door right now. I mean, he'll either shoot us or he won't. Wow. And he didn't. And we were able to get ourselves safely to the domestic violence agency locally. He followed us there, actually circled around the block, and we ended up having to be escorted out of town by police that afternoon. Wow. And all because, in the beginning, you didn't listen to your gut instinct. And how simple is that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's too simple, right? <laughs> I mean, a little bit before the show, you and I were chatting about being hypersensitive or overvigilant with regards to intuition and that gut instinct. But, like I said to you, I don't think you can be hypersensitive or, hypersensitive or overvigilant. I don't, I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course it always starts with um, verbal abuse. They don't usually just, you know, hit you right away in the beginning. Right, because the verbal abuse really softens you up. It literally breaks you down. In a lot of ways, verbal and emotional abuse is more destructive than physical abuse is. And um, so, you know, if you walked into a relationship and he just immediately snatched you around, you're right, you would leave. Right. But... Verbal abuse injures. I mean, it it injures in profound ways. And so a lot of times, and if you read the book, you will know that I said this a lot. Well, you know, this isn't abuse. This isn't abuse. But verbal abuse, emotional abuse is abuse, and it it is just as dangerous. And one of the ways it is very dangerous is it does prep you for being a victim of actual domestic physical violence. 
I know. Now we're giving tips on how to prep someone. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, you know, I was uh, dating someone like years ago, and, you know, I, I've always kept a diary, and I was, uh, I remember reading uh, back on this diary, and, you know, we were having a phone conversation. He got mad, and he said, shut the F up, but he used the actual F word. And even at that time in my diary, I wrote, oh, my God, he said that. Um, but I stayed in the relationship, um, you know, and people don't realize that is abuse. And I know now, I mean, if anyone ever talked to me that way, game over. I'd hang up and that'd be the end of it. A and yet right. people are taught to like that every day and they stay. Well, I, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people are taught to that way every mm -hmm. day and they mm -hmm. stay. And, you know, what's interesting about your experience, I suppose it's possible I, I wouldn't I wouldn't tolerate it either, but I suppose it's possible that somebody could say that, and it could just be something that they said in anger. It wouldn't necessarily mean anything. It might not be abusive. Mm. But your your instinct was no something's wrong. Yeah. There. I mean, it would always be disrespectful, and that in itself is not excusable. But your gut, you know, it kicked up with something very tangible, very specific, where you said, "Oh my God." Like that feeling in your throat, in your stomach, you felt that. Yeah, but see, even though you rationalized it, and, and I have to totally disagree, it's like he got mad. Well, so what? You know what? There's different ways of getting mad. I know, I know I've know, i dealt with many people getting mad. I've gotten mad. I've never said that to anyone, and people that love me have gotten mad, and they've never talked to me that way. So, you know, you cannot put up with someone that talks like that because I think that's just a bigger indicator, a small indicator of bigger issues. And, and that's why I'm, like, harping on it because I know everyone – you know, they hear that and they go, oh, that he's just mad. No, no, no. I think it's a more serious problem. Well, I think, and we can take that back. So I would agree with you on that. And saying, just laying it down, that when somebody speaks to you that way, that is disrespectful. That is disrespecting you. And when you are staying in a situation where you are being disrespected, like your value, your self-esteem, your ability to function in a healthy way, your your stock literally declines, descends, degrades. And, yeah, I mean, it, it is a big deal. Disrespect is a huge deal. Yeah, yeah, that's why I want everyone to be, like, really hyper-vigilant about anyone talking them a certain way or even, like, you know, like, even, like, a little push. Again, you know, there's different ways to react to a situation. People sh should not be pushing you. Right. Well, I mean, and like I said in the book, on many occasions, I would say at least he's not hitting me. I'm not being physically abused. He's right, not right. hitting me. Yeah. He was pushing me. He was holding me down. He would physically restrain me in rooms. He would throw things at me. He had thrown things at me that had injured me. Right. He would hold me in a car and prevent me from leaving. And I was saying at least he never hit me. This yeah. particular person never did actually smack me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he pulled me down in a corner, and that escalated to being held at gunpoint. So, right. you know, you, you need to be very aware. Like you said, that little shove, that little shove represents physical abuse. Yeah, and, uh, and also if you accept it, if you stay, then you're saying, okay, <clears throat> I'm going to accept that, so then they're able to escalate. Right, so, exactly. Yeah, because like you said, um, you know, a loving person behaves in loving ways. Well, and an unloving or abusive person behaves in unloving and abusive ways. And it really is about that clear cut. Yeah. Like, 
looking back on it, there's no question to me. It's black and white. It is that clear cut. When you're in it, though, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more, a lot murkier, I yes. guess I would say, partially because the mental, the physical, or the mental and the emotional and the verbal abuse starts to really degrade your ability to to reason, to see right and wrong, to function properly. Right. And even though, so I joke, you know, I joked at the beginning of the show, you have an IQ of 140, that still didn't stop? Or it still kept you in that situation? I think it's a fairly good example that you, this can happen to anyone. Yes. I mean, this can truly happen to anyone. So we like to hold kind of a stereotypical picture of somebody who suffers from abuse and think we know who that person is, but we don't. Smart women, you know, wealthy women, highly successful women, women in high-profile careers and jobs. This is, this is something that kind of spans the stretch of socioeconomic, you know, racial, age, the whole nine yards. This is happening straight across the board in lots of homes behind closed doors. And we can't stereotype this away. Right, yeah. You know, I actually wrote an article a few years ago called, you know, Why Do Women Date Jerks? But you can substitute the word jerks for, you know, bad boys or abusers, whatever, because I did some research on it. And um, I don't know if you've heard of the triune brain theory. No, I'd like to explain that. Yeah, so there's three parts of the brain, and the more primitive part of the brain is responsible for the feelings, and that's the oldest part of the brain. And the newest part of the brain, the neocortex, that's responsible for the logic. So since the more primitive part of the brain has been around longer, what happens is the even though you may logically know it's not right, the older part of the brain basically hijacks the newer part of the brain and it makes you go with your feelings instead of with your logic. Right. And so that's why, you know, I know, yeah, I know he doesn't hit me, but, you know, logically it's not right, but I love him. Oh, but he's nice, you know, and you rationalize it away and that's what's happening. Right. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Um, so, okay, so le- what are some signs of emotional or psychological abuse? <laughs> there are a lot, and I, I go through a lot in the book, but I would say, you know, and, and it depends on from what perspective you're looking at it. For yourself, a general rule of thumb is it, it's as easy as does he make me feel better about myself or is he making me feel worse about myself? Mm. I mean, if you're in a relationship and your partner is, belittling you, is, you know, questioning you, is leaving little hints that make you feel afraid. I mean, if you're looking at the whole scale of balance of this relationship, does this person make me feel better about myself or worse about myself? Even if you're uncertain, if you can't definitively answer that question as, yes, this guy he makes me feel great. I know he loves me. I feel like my best self when I'm around him. If you're not definitively going to that place immediately, mm-hmm. then you're going to want to check it. You're going to want to. You're going to want to check yourself. Yeah, because I always say, you know, you should never feel fear in a relationship, and the only fear you should feel would be that um, you're going to, you know, not treat him well, and he's going to leave. Right. 
Well, and there's lots of different ways to feel fear. I mean, so I one would think, okay, you should never be afraid that he's going to hit you. Well, that much is for sure, 100% true. But there are other kinds of fear, fear that we're going to go out in public and he's going to humiliate me if I don't do things or do what he wants me to do. Fear that he is going to take away money, that I'm going to lose, you know, any ability to have access to finances and money and maintain independence. Fear that he is, you know, following me, looking at my emails, checking on me, you know, checking up on me when I'm not home. There's, there's lots of kinds of ways to create fear and uncertainty in a relationship that are, in fact, abuses that have nothing to do with literal physical abuse. But all of those things create that feeling of uncertainty or insecurity or feeling, you know, not good, not safe in a relationship. Right. And, in fact, you also, you have an issue with therapists. So what is your take on therapists and dealing with their clients? I, I will say that I know some really great therapists. And even with my clients, there are times when I will refer them to therapy. That said, my experience in therapy, and I know that the, I am not alone in this because I hear it from my clients a lot, is I, I sat in therapy for years, right? I would go from one therapist to another therapist to another therapist who in a lot of ways helped me rationalize what was happening and why it was happening and letting me make it be about somebody else. You know, this guy what were his issues and how did I play into them and this person was manipulative and how did I become a part of that and this person was insecure and how did I become a part of that. I, I never once sat in a therapist's office who sat me down and told me to get my act together. Wow. I, I never once sat in a therapist's office who sat me down and said, look, Lisa, this is your fault. This is your responsibility. This is something you're doing over and over again. I, I did not find therapy to be particularly proactive in the department of getting me to take responsibility for steering my own ship, literally. So it kind of felt like therapy, therapy is very good at making you feel better, right? Mm -hmm. They make you feel better about yourself. They reinforce your self-esteem. Maybe they kind of, they work you through a therapeutic process to feel better, but I really needed, you know, the proverbial slap in the face, which uh -huh. wasn't going to feel good. Right. That's the kind of, I, I'm not a therapist, but that's the kind of coaching I do. I do the tough love slap in the face. And, right. uh, you know, people get upset sometimes, but then they end up thanking me. They're like, thank you for waking me up. Um, yeah, because obviously with all these relationships, you know, you're the common denominator. Right. You know, I, I'm the one that's doing it over and over and over and over again. I, and that is that. That is it. I mean, you, you are the common denominator in all of your relationships. You are what's driving the sum total of that experience. And I agree. I mean, in my coaching now, I am very much, I'm, I'm, I'm a little heavy-handed on, on the reality side of things. I don't tend to sugarcoat things. And the reason I don't tend to sugarcoat things is because I love my clients dearly, and I know what's on the other side of not getting better. Um, yeah, in fact, I was uh, at a play recently in a small uh, theater here in L.A., and there was maybe like 50 people, and I was there with a girlfriend. And so, you know, we walked in, and all of a sudden she goes, oh, my God, and she walked out. So I followed her. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, oh, my God, there's a guy in there that I dated last year twice, and we had sex, and then he never called me again. 
And I'm like, so? And she goes, well, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want him to see me. I'm embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my God, who cares? And she got mad at me. She goes, well, you know, you should be more understanding. You're a relationship expert. And um, I go, well, I'm not going to let some guy dictate what I'm going to do, uh, you know, if I've only met, seen him twice a year ago. And uh, But she let the fact that this guy was there, like, she didn't want to come out during the intermission. She was hiding afterwards. I'm like, wow. And and she got mad at me for not being understanding. Right. Well, well because she had done something in a relationship that had degraded herself. I mean, she had literally further injured her self-respect, her self-esteem, her value. That's the word I'm really looking for. She had done something in not even a relationship, but no. something that had you know, degraded her value. And that's that's really where the rubber meets the road. I mean, that's really what it comes down to when we talk about self-love. Like, when we really start to embrace loving ourselves, respecting ourselves, taking care of ourselves, we don't have to worry about other people doing that for us anymore because we take care of those things for ourselves. But when you're in the mode of doing things like that, you feel like you need to hide. Like, you feel the shame. You feel injured. You feel degraded. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, I notice now that, I mean, the reason that I want to do the right thing is because I have to live with myself, and I wouldn't feel good if I behaved a certain way. Right. I mean, I think eventually everyone has to get to that point where you don't do something, uh, not because someone's going to judge you or et cetera, et cetera, because you have to judge yourself. Right, and, and take care of yourself. I think, and that's women and men, but I, you know, I talk to women predominantly, but I mean, women will talk a lot about trust. Like women will say, I can't trust men or I want to be with a man and I can trust. They're looking for a man who's going to care for them gently and respectfully. And really, you can't do that. I mean, not that there aren't men out there who are going to do that, but you, you can't turn that responsibility over to another person. So when you are behaving in a way that makes you feel good, where you're proud of that, where you can stand by your decisions, where you know you're taking care of yourself, you, you really don't have to worry about how other people are going to be in relationship anymore because you know you are capable and willing to walk. Right. And actually, this just reminded me of something um, that it said that... Um I just forgot. <laughs> My mind just went black. That if you, um, oh, well, basically, if you take care of, you know, I always give this story of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, here it is. You know, the way you talk to yourself is the type of guy that you're going to um, attract. So if you have loving self-talk, you're going to attract a guy who talks to you lovingly. But if you have a lot of negative self-talk, you're going to attract that kind of guy. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that, and it bears repeating, so I'm going to say it again, that the way you talk to yourself, the kind of self-talk you have, is is the way the person that you attract into your life is going to talk to you. And I would say not just that guy, not just your romantic partner, but, you know, if you have loving, supportive, nurturing self-talk, you're going to attract people into your life who treat you that way. And... And the reverse is, is absolutely true. Yeah, and also if you're giving yourself loving self-talk and someone just happens to kind of get into your atmosphere and, and has negative talk, it stands out like a sore thumb. It's like, what? Where'd that come from? Right. Right. Um, okay. 
And um, you also said that women have the power in relationships. Until they give it away. True. And, and which means you don't have to. And you can pretty much ask any guy. I mean, talk to any man mm-hmm. about, you know, who's in a relationship with a woman that he loves, who's in charge, who has the power, who has the control. And women are in control. They, are, they have the ability to have so much more power and so much more influence over the course of a relationship than most women know. It, it starts to degrade. I mean, we tend to give it away a little bit at a time. But when a woman is fully in her power, owning her own stuff, rocking her own world, she runs a relationship. She, you know, she's, she, will, she has the power to run that relationship, and not in a bad way, in an abusive way, but in a very empowered and strong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I was speaking to a friend of mine recently, and um, he's the kind of guy that, you know, he either cheats or he's always, like, on the lookout for someone else, even though he may uh, be with someone. And he got into a relationship recently, and she just, like, totally blew him away. He was, like, so into her, and he said to me, I could never cheat on her. Right. Right. And so some people would, would hear that, and they would say, oh, well, there's one person for everybody. You know, that was just a perfect match. That was just her. It was just about her. And I would say it was about her in a very specific way. Like this was a woman who was owning her own stuff. He knew he couldn't mess with her. He probably is really aware that if he pulled that old thing that he used to do on her, that she would walk away. I mean, not knowing either of the two of them, I would have a pretty strong guess that this is a woman that he knew he he couldn't mess with. Yeah, and in fact, um, she actually did end up walking away because he did some other stuff. I don't know. He didn't tell me, but it wasn't cheating. And as a result of it now, he's totally changed. He's like, I've got to <clears throat> excuse me, stop behaving that way. I've got to be careful how I treat people. I mean, she kind of made him wake up as to what he was doing t- with women. Right. One woman standing in her power, you know, kind of in the wake of heaven only knows how many women that he's probably rolled over, you know, over the course of time. But one woman standing in her power has that kind of influence. Exactly. Okay, so then you are now with um, a man, the perfect man for you, and you use the law of attraction to get him. So what did you do? (laughs) A lot of things. And I will say, I mean, truly, a gift. I mean, he is a gift from heaven. And... I, I say it all the time. There was nothing in my past, in my track record, that would have indicated that I would have been able to attract a healthy man and maintain a healthy relationship and, you know, have a healthy marriage and a healthy family. You know, when people say to me about their patterns, like I've had these patterns all my life, da 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 it can change on a dime. I mean, it, it truly can. Um, I, first of all, I, I stopped dating. I, I took myself completely off the market and got very introspective and got very, very, very responsible, like got dead serious about my personal responsibility for my life. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's not particularly law of attraction based, but that was step number one, was not to get right back out on the market, which was typically my pattern of just, you know, going out and dating some more. I stopped. Um 
I got, and in that quiet period, got really, really introspective about what I wanted. Like, who do I want to be in a relationship? I focused much more on that than who I wanted to attract, which was also new to me. But, you know, I got very, very clear about I wanted to be somebody who was, I wanted to be my best self in a relationship. I wanted to be somebody who could expand and express. I wanted to be somebody who felt safe and secure. I wanted to be somebody who could support and love someone else. So, you know, I got really clear about who I wanted to be. And then from that perspective, started to get very, very, very clear, really for the first time in my life, about what and who I wanted to attract. Because everybody thinks they're doing it. Like, they sort of have a loose idea. But I don't know how many people actually take a lot of time in quiet introspection to be 100% clear on what they're and who they're wanting to attract. What do you mean? And so, what do you mean by a lot of time? How much is a lot of time? An hour a day? I, I, you know, after I, I probably set aside half an hour a day that wow. I spent this process in some way, you know, either visualizing or thinking about what I wanted to attract, or doing EFT. I don't know if you're familiar with emotional freedom technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, it was something, I didn't, I didn't give it all my time, but I did put it aside some time every day where I was very deliberate about creating my next relationship in a way that was actually going to serve me and last and be healthy and whole. Okay, and then you're, you're leaving out the part about the list that you made. Well, and, and the big part of that, you know, is the creation, the creation part of that, obviously, the being clear part of that, I did make a list. I made, and I think this, I, everybody, again, makes lists, but very often, and I see this with my clients, and I'm assuming that you probably see this, too, like we tend to put things on the list that we think should be there. Mm-hmm. We, sometimes we're not very honest with ourselves about our list. And we, you know, we write the list we think our mother would want us to write. But I, my best friend and I from high school actually both single on Valentine's Day, uh-huh. which was quite, quite the thing. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, nearly 40, both of us single at the same time, had come out of some pretty rough relationships. And sitting together on Valentine's Day with a bottle of wine, and we made our list. And I will say that, you know, David is, David is count for count everything that was on that list and more. And that list was, I mean, you've read it. Mm -hmm. I I wanted a person who was loving and kind and honest and all of those things that we put, but I also wanted a guy that was good looking and sexy. I wanted a guy to dress well. I wanted a guy that had money where I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted, you know, I... I really got honest about what I really wanted. And without, you know, justifying or rationalizing or any of it, I laid it all out on that list. And and he is that, like I said, and more. Yeah, in fact, I mean, I have to say I've seen a lot of lists, but yours is the perfect list, and I'm going to hijack it. (laughs) Feel free. Feel free. (laughs) Except the part about the Democrat and the dogs and the sun, because I don't have that. But, um, I mean, this is like the this is like the man that every woman wants. Everybody has to get the book and read the list. Just, you know, you mentioned some things. Yeah, uh, you know, great lover, affectionate, ready for a monogamous relationship, physically and emotionally available, gentlemanly, 
uh, you know, allows you with plenty of time on your own, honest. I mean, this is the perfect guy. Right. And they're out there. Right. I mean, they are out there. I mean, I've, I've got one. And, you know, your lens starts to change. I look around now in my life and I live with one. And there are others out there. Like I see other really cool guys that would match that bill. And so, you know, women who are really struggling will say, that guy doesn't exist, but he does. He he does exist. He is out there. Guys like that are waiting for us to get our act together. Right. Because guys like that can't date train wrecks. Right. Um, so how soon after you met him did you know he was the one? I knew on my second date. I was pretty suspicious on our first date. Suspicious of what? That he might be or might not be the one? No, I was I was, I had a strong sense of certainty that he probably was the one on our first date. Uh-huh. I knew for sure on our second date. I very within the first few days, and I think it was actually after the first date. I was in a dress shop where I do a lot of shopping for formal events, and I was buying a dress for an art auction. And I said to the woman that I've been buying dresses from for years, I said to her, "You need to look for the dress I'm going to get married in." Wow. See, now I've heard that before, that people, when they meet um, the person they're going to marry, they like know right away. So like, what is that? Do they just stand out so much more than anyone else they've dated in the past? I just had this, and and the best way I can describe it, I had this quiet sense of absolute certainty. Hmm. It's quiet sense of absolute certainty that this was somebody that I could fully be myself with. You know, to to know somebody in that short period of time, to be sitting across the table from somebody on your second date where you realize that you can fully just be you sitting in front of this person, I, I knew for sure. And I had never had that feeling before. Right. Never that feeling before. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on. I think we've helped a lot of people. Um, again, the book is How to Escape from Relationship Hell, and the website is escapefromrelationshiphell.com. And what do you have uh, to offer on that website besides the book, obviously? The book, there's a ton of information. There's a blog. There's contact resources. There's, yeah, there's, there's stuff. So I would also say really quickly, but if I'm doing a year-long video series on relationship skills, and that is free, there's no cost for that, and that is available at loveology101.info. And is there a link to that from the Escape from Relationship Hell website? You know, there's not. There should be. It's linked the other direction. So, again, that's loveology101.info. All right. Well, thank you so much. Take care. You have been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. <clears throat> so, I'm going to do a little um, new segment about what I've learned this week. Um, so, first thing, did anybody watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians? <laughs> Nothing like going from a heavy topic to, like, fluff, but whatever. Um, okay, so... Kim was in Bora Bora, where I plan to be on my honeymoon or whenever I get married, um, <laughs> with her then fiance, of course now husband, Chris Humphreys. And she needed to speak to him about something. And she did it perfectly. So I don't know if she's been like studying, if she, if she had a coach, it wasn't me, 
or if she just naturally knows how to do this. But this was like the perfect way to do it. So she needed to, it was about, I can't even remember, something about her, her brother and the way he had talked to her brother because there was um, a tiff going on and he was, of course, trying to defend her. And so she began by saying, um, you know, honey, whatever, you know, I think you're perfect. I love everything about you. I love the way you are. But blah, 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 blah. I don't even know. If, I don't even, she probably didn't use the word but. You're supposed to use the word and. But it's much easier to use the word but. And and then she just said what the dynamics were between her and her brother and the fact that he didn't really need to uh, defend her. And everything was fine. I'm like, wow, that's a really good example of how to uh, deal with something like that. Because a lot of times people, uh, they want to confront. And that word should not even be in your vocabulary. Because as soon as you use the word confront, it's like, well, I'm going to confront him. I mean, you're automatically making him the enemy. It's like, there's a problem and this needs to be fixed and I'm going to confront him. No you know, you're supposed to be on the same team. So you can't think, well, he's doing this because he's against me. No, that's just the way that person is. And they may not even realize that it's going to be a problem. And so you have to be careful the how you approach them. And of course, starting with that compliment like Kim did, which is perfect. I'm going to try that next time. Oh, I think you're perfect. I love everything about you. And I just want to let you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so there was that. Then there was um, this Tony Robbins video that um, I watched. And actually, I think I got the link from Lisa Hayes' website when I went to her uh, website, Escape from Relation of Hell. And basically, he was talking about the day that his company went public. And he was then became worth $400 million. Not bad. And... He had taught a seminar that day in, in front of 13,000 people. So you think, wow, this guy must be on top of the world. He's just become worth $400 million on paper. And he's taught a seminar in front of 13,000 people, right? Uh, no, unfortunately wrong. He went home that night and he was depressed. Why? Because he was with the wrong person. <laughs> like I said, the right person can make your, um, your life heaven and the wrong hell. So even though he had all that good stuff happening in his career, um, you know, things were not happy at home, and he was not happy. In fact, he said something very profound. He said, it's, um, you can't, if you're not happy in your intimate relationship, you're not happy. And, you know, sad but true. Though we may try, <laughs> and we cover it up with work and all sorts of other things, thinking that it'll make us happy, basically, at the end of the day, if the foundation isn't there, if the personal relationship is messed up, it really doesn't matter how much money you make and how much adulation and success and fame you have, there's always that missing piece. And uh, that's why it's important to pick the right person and get out of relationship hell. Hey. <laughs> um, okay, a couple of other things. The guy I mentioned earlier in my uh, conversation with um, with Lisa about um, that he had a tendency to cheat and then he got with this girl and he said he would never cheat. Well, anyways, so he's a friend of mine. And they broke up probably like two weeks ago, and he's already seeing someone else. And I was like, wow, that was fast. <laughs> and I was shocked. In fact, I said, "You, wow, you, you really need to fill that gap, don't you? You just cannot be alone. And he said, well, what am I supposed to do? Just sit home and be upset or be miserable or whatever? And it's like, well, yeah, actually. Or actually, it's your choice to be miserable. I mean... Because he's basically using this girl. This is the rebound girl. I mean, he, he's, he's definitely not over the other one. She was 
you know, someone that had such a profound effect on him that he wants to really change how he approaches people. And he's still not totally eating right and he's not sleeping. And yet he's already on to the next, even though he says they're just friends. But I said, please, you know, you're going to be sleeping with her within a month. And so this girl, of course, she probably has no idea. Um, and I don't know if they've talked about past relationships, but they probably did. He probably said, yeah, I, I broke up with someone recently. And so that, I've always said, is a red flag. If someone has just recently broken up with someone, that is not the time to be dating them. Um, you know, you can kind of be friends with them, but don't get too emotionally involved because who knows, she might come back. And even if she doesn't, this guy is nowhere near ready to be in another relationship. And meanwhile, you're going to be thinking, okay, you know, I'll help him here now while he's trying to get over this. And then, and then he'll want to be with me. Well, maybe yes and maybe no. Maybe you'll just end up being the rebound. And nobody wants to be that. So you really got to ask someone when you first meet them, when did your last relationship end? In fact, I went on a date a few months ago. And the guy had told me that his um, he was engaged and then... He became disengaged. Is that the right word? And I think she actually ended the engagement. Uh, but I didn't know when. For some reason, I assumed it was, you know, a year ago, two years ago, whatever. And on the date, I find out it was like, I don't know, a month ago. I went, oops, oops, red flag, that. And then also, you know, speaking about being hypervigilant for abuse, we were talking about parking tickets. And he said that... Um, he got so upset one time with a, a parking person, whatever they're called these days, meter maid, that gave him a ticket that he wanted to take the ticket and shove it in their mouth. <laughs> wow. When I heard that, I was like, Oop, check please, time to go. And that was the first date, you know, and there were no, no more dates. So this kind of ties in with what we were talking about with Lisa is that you got to look for the flags and, and see, I mean, a person will tell you on the first few dates who they are. Because, you know, they're carefree, la, la, la. They just want to tell you about themselves. And a lot of times they'll be joking around and you're thinking, uh, oh, it's really nothing. Because, I mean, he actually was kind of joking around when he said that. But inside, I was, like, horrified. I mean, my antenna went up. The red flags went up. It was like, you know, stop the train. Stop the plane. Get off. So you really got to watch that because, you know, who knows what would have happened if I had kept on dating him. And then finally... The last thing I learned this week, which I already knew, but it was reinforced, uh, speaking to another friend of mine, I have a lot of friends, <laughs> a guy friend. I'm lucky to have, you know, guy friends that are really honest with me and really tell me what's going on, partly because I think they trust me because of what I do, and also they know I'm not going to judge them. So whatever they tell me, no matter how bad it is, I can never say, oh my God, you're a terrible person. I just go, oh, okay, very interesting. So um, this friend of mine, he's having problems with his girl. <laughs> And I'm laughing because uh, this was a guy who was, you know, all tough and, you know, he's a player, blah, blah, blah. And then he meets this girl who I think is about eight or nine years younger. And, you know, they'll be close for a while and then she'll be like, oh, I'm claustrophobic. You're, you know, you're crowding me. Leave, leave me alone. And meanwhile, he said he's not doing that at all. But she still says that. And so, you know, he doesn't contact her. And so she keeps doing that. It's like a roller coaster up and down. And he's wondering what to do. And I said, okay, so why are you putting up with this? And he said, because otherwise she's so much fun. That's true. And that's actually what the other guy had said. The other guy that is with the rebound girl now, the reason that he had, um, he was, he got so close with the other girl and would never cheat on her was because it was so much fun. That's what it's about. That's what it's supposed to be about. I mean, what's the 
um, reason of being with someone if it's not going to be fun. So ladies, you don't want to be, or even guys, you don't want to get too serious, uh, especially in the first few months, first six months of dating. It's just supposed to be about having fun, letting the guy be himself, letting the girl be herself, and that's just the natural um, attractor because women especially wonder, well, how do I keep the guy? How, how do I get him interested? How do I get him to fall in love? You know, if you are fun, he's not going to want to go anywhere because most people, you know, they have off days, they're moody, they're bitchy, whatever, and they're not always fun. So if you can be, a, you know, a breath of fresh air, a free spirit, then it will definitely help in your relationships and your dating. Okay, so that is it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'd like to thank my guest, Lisa Hayes. Uh, again, the book is How to Escape from Relationship Hell, and the website, escapefromrelationshiphell.com. My book, Lucia's Lessons of Love, An Expert Answers the Most Asked Dating and Relationship Questions, is available at lessonsoflove.net. Of course, I also do private one-on-one coaching, and you can go to my website, theartoflove.net, and Click on coaching and find out what that's all about. And I can email you my rates. And what else do I have going on there? Of course, I also have my free weekly newsletter on the same site. And links to videos and press and photos. And just everything. (laughs) Everything's going on there. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, remember that love inspires, empowers, uplifts, and enlightens. You're listening to The Art of Love with your host, Lucia, right here on L.A. Talk Radio.